Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. So it's July 24th, 2022. Our message today is called Impossible. Yeah, no slides, huh, Beth? Amen. Let's do Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout how many generations? Forever and ever. Amen. Now you've heard it said many times that the Lord can do immeasurably more than you ask for or imagine. Christians like to quote that. How does he do it? Well, it's according to his power that is at work within us. What you just experienced was an hour and 35 minutes of hardcore request for more of his power at work in us. Why? Because you realize how weak, how frail, how sinful you are when his power is not carrying you at every turn. Oh, come on. That's what maturity looks like, though. We're getting better. We're closer to perfection. The ones you have to worry about are the ones that are not repenting. The ones that don't feel broken. That don't feel frail. That think that they're pretty good. Those people are in for a rude awakening. If a man could walk up to Jesus and call him good teacher and Jesus look him in the eye and say, Why do you call me good? <laughs> then how dare we think of ourselves as pretty good. Look, I want to talk to you about impossible today. Say it with me, impossible. Impossible. I just made that up. It's like speaking in tongues. Except one is moved by the Spirit of God, and the other is just moved by a spirit of entertainment. We'll let the cessationist guess which is which. I assumed you knew. <laughs> this body has had a significant and immeasurable impact on the lives and works that are being done all over the One Association. You may not recognize right away, but what you do matters greatly. And I want to brag on the Lord working in you for a moment. Now, not only are we not passing an offering, we never pass an offering, and it's Sometimes a decade before we make a special request, but there were some special requests made while I was out of town. I think you guys know me. You can go home and read 1 Samuel 12. It's a scripture that I long for with all my heart. I haven't coveted your donkeys. That's fun in King James. I don't want your silver. I haven't accepted a bribe and I don't mistreat you. I've never wanted your finances. I want your life. But I want to brag a little bit about what the Lord has done through you. And I'm just going to start with some things that have happened in the last few years that 
I love you, but I don't feel like I owe it to you to tell you. I waited for the Lord to tell me that I should tell you. I'm going to start with a church called King's Harvest. As you know, Wade and Matthew and I, we all had our beginnings in this work in the early 90s. That's because those pastors are old. <laughs> but the Lord used you and your faithful efforts to restart that work as a corporate entity and under new leadership in 2015. Through the avenue of the One Association, LCM sent $37,000 over the course of one year that aided in the purchase of their property and the establishment of the mighty work that exists there. How many of you had no idea that happened? We don't let the right hand know what the left is doing. But every once in a while, the Lord does such amazing things that I wanted to encourage you with it. There's no way of measuring the benefit that that will have on the generations that are following us. How can you measure that? You say, well, it's just $37,000. To them, it was all the money in the world. To us, too, incidentally. <laughs> but how do you quantify what it's like to be able to start See, they've got something started, and it's changing lives. The Arising Church. As you know, the founding pastor of the Arising Church was discipled in my living room. Through the avenue of the One Association, LCM sent $25,000 over the course of just a few weeks that aided in the purchase of their property and the establishment of that mighty work. How many of you knew that? Yeah. Two guys that were in a meeting where we were praying about doing it. But the congregation didn't know. Look, there's no way to measure the benefit that that will have on the four pastors that are working full-time to advance the kingdom day and night there, raising up disciples exactly like here. Remnant. As you guys know, the founding pastor of Remnant was discipled in our living room. Through the avenue of the One Association, LCM sent about $15,000 over the course of the last 14 months that aided in the purchase of their property, their building, their ongoing building campaigns, even getting free from lingual entanglements. There's no way to measure the benefit that that will have on future generations. Ask Dylan, ask Devin, ask Kaysen what it means to them to have a place that they can stand and minister. Ask the people there in worship this morning what it means to them because it wouldn't have happened without faithfulness across the one association. Ehad de Peru. As you know, the founding pastor of Ehad de Peru was discipled in our living room. Through the avenue of the one association, LCM has sent... $125,000, actually far more than that, but I stopped counting in 2021 to secure their living spaces, to make it possible to them to minister full-time in a nation. How would you measure the benefit of that on future generations of Peruvians? So well, it's just money. Yes, and I, I've never worried about money unless I didn't have enough to do the next thing God called me to do. I don't value it, I don't idolize it, I don't feel better with it or without it. But the fact is, it took money to establish them in Peru and sustain them in Peru. How do you measure that? 
One Light in Indonesia, which is not really what they call themselves, but is the best way to refer to it on the internet. As you know, the founding pastor of One Light was discipled in this church. He skipped the living room. If he had it to do over again, he'd probably be discipled in the living room. Those Cajuns are tough. <laughs> Through the avenue of one association, LCM has sent more than $211,000 in support of that mighty work between 2016 and 2021. Again, I don't have more recent numbers. That secured their living spaces. It established them to be able to minister full-time in a country. What has that meant to Geary? What has that meant to Pharaoh? What has that meant to Shama? What has that meant to Gerwin? What would that mean to the future generations? Submission Ministries. As you know, the founding pastor of Submission Ministries was discipled in our living room. His faith, his convictions, his endurance, his determination to see an international Bible school as well as a thriving local church. Well, Pastor Lamb, he's pretty legendary. I don't worry about him. He will survive the apocalypse. <laughs> we will see his work, and we are completed, and we are committed to the point that we have set aside no less than $50,000, could be a lot more, that we plan to sow into that work around the one association. We're waiting for them to finish getting their building plans approved. And we're going to do it in a different way than we normally would. We're going to do it publicly so that we can encourage all of the other churches, this is what it looks like. How could you measure the benefit of what it will be like for Zeke to have a building with Pastor Jake, with Pastor Zach, with all of the godly men there that they can teach in, that cannot be taken away, that they can send people to the nations. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not asking for anything from you. I'm telling you what has already happened and what we already have set aside. That's pretty amazing when you consider. Dave, do you remember when it was just you and me? Let's be honest, there were a few drug addicts, a whore or two. <laughs> Honey, out of the mouth the heart speaks. I, I was referring to something 20 years ago. Uh, starting with a handful and a handful that didn't want to be there. I mean, if we're honest, Dave, I had to go wake you up a few times. I mean, I, that's not Dave's fault. The church just was not that good. But we fought for it. And to be able to do some of these things, I cried I don't know how many times during worship. It's overwhelming, and you should be filled with gratitude. I could go on to speak of Kenya... With his church-funded orphanages, I could go on to speak of Suriname, where we saw an entire pastorate filled with the Holy Spirit in one evening. 
I could go into Mozambique where uh, this church saw an entire congregation, all of them, experience Pentecost at the same time. It looked like the book of Acts in a way that I've never seen before or since. I could go on to Germany, Romania, Turkey, Iraq, Mexico, Israel, and India recounting how you have sown over $1 million into these fields since the foundations of LCM were laid. Actually, I am going to go and tell you a little bit about India. I was on the phone with them yesterday. We met Anne in Israel in 2009, and this extraordinary family went on to establish more than a dozen churches in rural, rural places that Westerners have not dared to go outside of men from the One Association. Our commitment to India has been somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 over the last 13 years. How can you measure the impact that that will have on the future generations? Now, if you're listening online or you're new here today, you're like, those people must be rich. No, we've always been poor. We do not keep that which God put in our hands. It was never for us. Never have, never will. We don't have a rainy day fund. Say that's irresponsible. I say your wanton disregard for trusting God is irresponsible. Hey, these things were all made possible by the joint sacrifice of every member in this congregation. It was never based on the generosity of a few. In my experience, rich people are rich because they like to hold on to their money. Nothing makes me happier than to insult a rich person who offers to give us money. Uh, if you've been with me on those occasions, it's epic. You think I'm tough on you. It's fun. I love to illustrate that we are not controlled by the idolatry of money. I love that Jesus uses average families to do extraordinary things. By the way, I've never seen a rich guy actually make good on what he promised. Not, not, not once. It seems that they were looking for the compliment. They were looking for those things, which means it wasn't for Jesus. The two primary factors that have allowed us to do these things is your leadership has been committed to living perpetually at zero. I think you can see that. No savings account, no retirements, uh, no health insurance, no, 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 no. And don't you feel sorry for us. It's the best life there's ever been. And this congregation has gone to zero every time we've asked it. We don't ask it very often because we're not prosperity pimps. We would never abuse your faithfulness. I'm only telling you about some of these achievements because I want to encourage your faith based on what you've already done. I'm specifically doing it after the offerings came in, not before. As we begin here today, I think two scriptures put the achievements of the Lord through us into proper perspective. Can we read those together? Yeah. Good, because we're going to do this a little bit old school LCM. Yeah, I, I love new school LCM. I do miss the pulpit, though. It gives me something to lean on. <laughs> uh, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. Am I doing okay, Jen? You, you wanted to say something? No? Didn't want to preach today. Okay. First Chronicles 29, 14. But who am I? And who are my people? 
My God, could I say that with full authority? (laughs) That we should be able to give as generously as this. I didn't recount the half of it. Maybe on some other day we'll do that, but I... I don't know. I'm not a, I don't like to go through spreadsheets and stuff. One of the reasons that we are able to be the way we are is, you know, we try not to count beans. <laughs> we try to consider that if our needs, our basic today needs are met, then whatever is there without counting is probably for the work of God. That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Somebody say only. Only. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. As were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple. For your holy name comes from your hand. And it all belongs to you. All of your time, all of your energy, all of your efforts, all of your finances, all of, all of, all of belongs to him. You pledge that when you get born again and it's so easy to take it back. But my Saturdays are mine. My birthdays are mine. My anniversaries are mine. Every breath you have comes from God. It belongs to him. But it's not wrong, which is another way to say I feel entitled. (laughs) But it's not wrong if I do this. What you're actually, your little piglet heart is squealing out. I feel entitled. Everything we have already belongs to the Lord. And when we get the opportunity to prove that, it's such a special moment for us. It's a step of maturity. It's a step of growth. It's a step nobody can take away from you, particularly if you and the Lord are the only ones that know that it happened. Then it's a private benchmark of, Lord, today, today I need to repent. But last Tuesday, I was getting it with you, Lord. That was great. Give me more days like that, more opportunities like that. That's what makes a Christian walk, not an eight-year-old's commitment at an altar, despite what uh, our ecclesiastical crowd is telling us. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. What does God do? Test the heart. And he's pleased with integrity. Have you considered that all of these situations that you're put into are actually a test of your heart? You've heard it before, so I'm not going to preach it again, and I'm just going to mention it and move on. What if he's not measuring you by the amounts that you give? What if he measures you? What if he's testing you by what you like to keep in reserve for yourself? Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. David is so proud of what they have done. And his first prayer is keep this attitude, this heart going forever. That's exactly how I feel today. 
Uh, I don't have it in my nature to just pat you on the head and tell you how wonderful things are. We're going to mix it up. But what has happened here in these last few weeks is the kind of thing that you just want to keep going forever. Amen. Immediately, things will be going through your mind like, I can't. I can't keep up that pace. If I already gave all, then, then I can't. I can't give all again. No, you can give all every day. Okay? You, you can do it every day. You say, well, uh, uh, that account is empty. Okay, find another way to give all <laughs> until that account has trickled back up somewhere. Find another way. to. Every day there will be a way to give all. I, I can assure you that, which by necessity means every day there will be a way for you to keep something selfishly with a piggish little heart in reserve for yourself. But we're going to put that to death. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, and we're going to grow in it. Look at the next one. And keep their hearts loyal to you. It turns out that one of the best ways to keep a heart loyal is to keep emptying it of everything that's in it. <laughs> See, when you keep giving him all that you have in every area, it keeps you loyal and dependent on him. You beginning to understand why the poor are rich in faith yet? Hey, pastor, you've been in like 40, 50 countries and thousands of trips. Why are all the miracles on the mission field? Well, number one, that's not true. And number two, it's because of this principle. That's why. Right? We are moving as a church in a beautiful direction. We've been moving in it a long time. This is not new. But this is our proper perspective, our continual prayers. Lord, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And, Lord, keep our hearts loyal to you. Forever and loyal. Isn't that a great goal? Yeah. The other scripture that I wanted to share with you personally, because God knows it's true and it's right that I should do so, is Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him that gives me strength. With a pure heart, with, with a good conscience and sincere faith, I can say that I understand this scripture. I yada it. I experience it. In fact, I'm committed to the very same lifestyle to the end. Doesn't matter what is in an account or not in an account. This is how we live. But look what the apostle says next. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. <laughs> Singular verse. I've never seen that on a bumper sticker. I've never seen anybody's Bible inscribed with that. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. LCM, you have troubled yourselves for the advancement of the gospel. This is commendable before God. Your hard work will not go unnoticed by the king. He will reward each of us according to our labors in this life and the life to come. You can be certain of that. So whatever has happened since these sacrificial acts to try to convince you that they are not wise and our rewards are as sure as the earth is existent, as the sun is above the earth, as the moon rotates around, the nature of our God is he will never let his faithful ones do without. Look at verse 15. 
Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. In the early days of ministry for the Stevens, there was only LCM. Every need, every time, for every purpose, in every circumstance. LCM, you have been the first to rise in faith to meet the needs of this ministry. Now, in these last several years, your brothers in the one association have joined you sacrificially. They have joined you fully. They have joined you with great enthusiasm. The other churches are following your example, and the one association is being supported by every church in the association. This is multiplying our efforts around the world. What started with you has expanded to them. They are sharing the load with you in every way so that we can accomplish the great call of God. That's a big map over there. And it's going to take all of us. Look at 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. Now you guys know me. I know you. I want your lives to fully belong to the Lord in everywhere, every area. Today, I want you to know that you have proven again that they do. Can I give you a couple of stats? There's approximately 67 adult households in this church. People over 18 have their own accounts and uniquely give to the ministry. In response to the message two weeks ago, beyond the obligatory, there were 80 special offerings that were deposited into the one association from LCM. Now, that means that some adult households had to have made more than one offering. And that numerically, we had over 100% participation. Anybody grow up in a church where 10% supported the other 90%? We had over 100% participation. Now, if you missed out on that privilege, and I don't know how, because every household was represented in some more than once, that means somebody else, somebody besides you, did not once or twice, but three times to make up for it if you didn't. That's crazy. Can I tell you the work of God will not be hindered? What you've done will ensure that the work does not stop. We're going to build buildings in Virginia. We're going to continue international expansion. We will see new generations that have pastors that are properly discipled. Church, when I think of 67 households but 80 special offerings, it reminds me that you've given beyond your ability to do so. That will not go unnoticed by our Father. Let's continue in the passage. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If you made pledges, finish them. 
If you made a vow, keep your vow. That's serious. It's between you and God. But I want you to know as I stand here right now, your offerings came from LCM to the One Association, and I'm amply supplied. I don't need anything. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been in this position. There's more than enough money to do what God's laid before us this month. I think that's the first time I've been able to say that in 30 years. And I don't plan on getting used to it. <laughs> I'm going to continue to live exactly as the Lord has taught me, as if nothing in my daily sacrifice changes, because that's how a Christian stays healthy. The difference is, is that we'll have fuel to get where we need to go. We'll have seed to sow when we get there. Look, I want you to know that I am proud of you, that your heavenly Father is proud of you. These sayings that are on the walls, well, they're written in your hearts now. This is what it looks like to mature as a ministry. I feel a little bit like that scene, now I'm just rambling, where the Spartans show up with the Athenians. <laughs> I don't want pride to get in. Let's be honest. It's already here. At least it's about you. I know that we're not that big. But I would be happy to sit next to any church and argue about who brought more actual Christians to the meeting. Let's get into our message this morning since I'm 27 minutes in. I want to show you the attitude that has allowed us to arrive in our blessed position. And the only attitude that will compel us to finish what we have started. So what are we going to talk about for a minute? Attitude. And our title is impossible. Now, I know you guys are good Bible students, so I'm not going to work you through the whole Sinasherib or uh, Sennacherib or Snickerib. I'm just going to remind you. By the way, it's, it's closer to Sennacherib, but I'll still say Sinasherib because, I don't know, I'm committed to pronouncing some Hebrew words wrong, Justin provides you an opportunity to sow into the body. Sinasherib, his name means sin has multiplied brothers. Okay, you can look that up in New Ungers. Now, sin, in all fairness, is the moon god. Have I told you all recently that Allah's the devil? Have I mentioned that the Quran is a satanic book? Have I told you that Muhammad was a pedophile? I just want to make sure too much time hasn't gone by without renewing that tradition. It does make it difficult. We have to sometimes erase our phones when we're in other countries because those messages are on them. But it's true whether we have it recorded or not. No pedophile prophet and his followers is going to overcome the church of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about Sinasherib, though. And the importance of the events surrounding Sinasherib's life can't, can't be overstated. In about 700, he, uh, by force, inherits an Assyrian throne from his father, Sargon. And I'm just not going to do that. There's a lot of messages you can listen to on that from this ministry. If Satan's stratagem had been successful, then what would have happened is Sinasherib would have shown up outside of Jerusalem, which he did, He's reportedly carrying the heads of kings. He says, hey, you guys are going to eat your own filth. By that he meant excrement and drink your own urine. He said that through his generals. He had laid waste to everybody before. If 
Satan's stratagem had gone unchecked. There would be no Jewish people for the Messiah to come through. Can somebody say that's an important event? If there were no Jewish people and no Messiah, there would be no Judeo-Christian influence in the world today. Talk about tipping points that could change the world. What would the Middle East look like today? What would Europe look like? What would North America look like? What would Latin America look like if there had been no Jewish and no Christian influence on the world? But men like Isaiah, men like Hezekiah, were all God needed to defeat Satan's most deadly strategies. Your role is more important to the plan of God than you may have realized. Send the sheriff's generals made threats against God. It's kind of nasty threats, too. Sennacherib's defeat of Judah looked so certain that no reasonable person would have thought that they could have made it. The people of God faced what would have been perceived as a totally impossible task. However, that's not the way that God viewed it. And you know that that's not the way that we should view any task before us. Do y'all remember what happened? Hezekiah spread out his hands before the Lord. The people responded in faith. Do y'all remember that? Have you heard these messages before? You know that the Lord sent an angel and delivered the people, slaughtered the Assyrian army. 185,000 people die in a single night. I preached about that more times than I can count, which is why we're not doing it today. Today, I want to focus, what did I say we were going to focus on? An attitude. The attitude that God displayed, recorded in the words of Isaiah concerning the whole situation. Now, normally if somebody says, hey, girl, you got an attitude. That's not a good thing. But there are certain kind of attitudes that are entirely attractive. Attitude's not always a bad thing. I want to share with you an attitude. Let's go to Isaiah 37, 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria... This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Virgin daughter Zion despises and mocks you. Daughter Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Church, our God is not threatened by opposition. Finances, health, governments, even martyrdom is no threat to God or his people. The response to the enemy's threat was instruction from our God to look in the face of the enemy and mock him. Come on, some girls with long hair. To toss your head contemptuously at the enemy. God described his people as virgin daughter, daughter of Jerusalem, and said, you, daughter, mock them. Despise them. Toss your head at them. 
that doesn't sound very Christian. That's because you define Christianity wrongly. To be able to mock and despise and look with contempt upon the enemy's desire to stop God's plan is actually faith. This ministry was never founded on accomplishing the easy. We are not moved by what seems uh, doable. We're not looking to achieve things that are well within our grasp. We want the full price gospel that leaps daringly into the unknown, the unachievable, the unobtainable, and attempt great things for the cause of Christ. We started in a living room, and that was opposed. We moved to a garage, and that was opposed. We moved to an insignificant storefront, and that was opposed by the city, by the courts, by landlords. We moved to this warehouse, and that was opposed. We're going to move into the most difficult regions in the world. And you know what? We're going to win! At every stage, we've seemed reckless, imprudent, impractical. But the result is we truly see nothing as impossible. We've learned to take our stand on the supernatural, to become immovable, and to look at the impossible and go... Yeah, I can do it. It just takes a little longer. Every once in a while, we get into these phrases. Are you ready for, uh, for a good church phrase? It's a Bible phrase. It's one that everybody agrees with. Everything is possible for him who believes. True or not true? I love you, but if you don't contextualize the scripture correctly then you can't know what it means. It's not true that nothing is impossible. Even if you believe. Say, Eric, how can you say that? The scripture says otherwise. Well, there is something that is impossible. Matthew 16, 18 says something. And I tell you, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It is absolutely impossible for the devil to overcome the church of the living God. It doesn't matter what that illegitimate one believes. It will never happen. It is not true that everything is possible for him who believes. If you believe it, you can achieve it. He can believe it all day, but Jesus Christ said he cannot stop the church of the living God. See, we're often in a position where we feel like we were given the impossible task. You need to turn that around. You need to pick up a little audacious flip of your hair. A shaking and contempt of your head. I've not been committed to the impossible. The one trying to stop me has been committed to the impossible. Send a sheriff can multiply his brothers. The enemies and defectors can all amass together. They can make their threats, but the daughter of Zion can laugh. And shake her head contemptuously at their efforts. Because the church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. It is impossible to stop us. Jesus Christ himself guaranteed the victory. Have you forgotten that? I just don't know how I'm going to do this. I just, 
Shut up. Like sheket. That's a good Hebrew word. Not like the Polaroid picture, like a stop speaking. Our victory is guaranteed. The battle has been co-signed by the Christ. See, when you start to realize that, that could cause it. I once got beat up really badly by somebody's older brother. I mean, it was bad. I, I don't remember the events. It was so bad. And the little brother, my God, he walked around like after that. It was so tough. I mean, and I had the constant knowledge, like, in 30 seconds, I can put you in that trash can and send you out that window. But your brother beat me so badly last time. Our older brother has co-signed the victory. The victory is certain and the outcome is not in question. The only question is whether we will stand in the attitude and the practice that does not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. Because that's what's required for the victory to happen. This is what we founded LCM upon. And it's impossible for us as a church of God to be defeated when we stand in this sacrificial attitude. Do you understand that the key to our faith is not a magical doctrine? It's the demonstration of your faith that you've done over these last few weeks, and not just these last few weeks, these last few decades. Our enemy is full of false faith. He believes that he can intimidate, that he can coerce, that he can seduce us away from the daily implementation of the truly sacrificial gospel. And, I mean, after all, there's alternatives all around us that are not truly sacrificial. We must be full of genuine faith. We have to prove it in our actions. We must be audacious with the shake of our heads in contempt in regard to the enemy's futile efforts to stop something that Jesus Christ said it was impossible to stop. Has that sunken in yet? It is impossible to stop the church of the living God. Are you worried about the church? Are you grieving about the church? Are you deeply concerned about Islam and the church? If those burdens came from God because it's compelling you to action, great. But God doesn't need your deep concern. He already knows how this is going to turn out. The church of Jesus Christ is going to convert the followers of the pedophile prophet. That's what's going to happen. I've read it. We win. Allah's defeated. You know, I don't often read the Quran, but when I do, I like to eat bacon. First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and, hear this, have overcome them. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We have, we have already, we have overcome them. The outcome is not truly in question. When we stand having given all, risked all, sacrificed all, we are in glorious victory in advance of the contest. I don't know what awaits me in Indonesia, but you know what? I'm going to win. 
I don't know what awaits me with Albanian pastors in Italy, but do you know what? I'm going to win. Do you know how I can say that? Because I am confident that I am a part of the church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not defeat me. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be overcome by the gates of hell. They have the impossible task. Ours is not an impossible task. Ours is actually already certain. Y'all ready? Bring it on, Brandon. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, Allah. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, health issues. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, financial crisis. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, giants of doubt and despair. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, delay, disillusionment, and even temporary defeat. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. Bring it on, false brothers. Get going, fickle family. Your task is impossible. Mine is certain. My victory's been co-signed by Christ, guaranteed from heaven. When we say impossible, we say, oh, Christians dare to believe the impossible. You need to turn this around. What is impossible is that the enemy can stop you. If you stand in sacrificial faith, if you do not love your life so much as to cling to it, not one beach day, not one birthday, not one special moment, your life is Christ. Then he can't stop you. And you got nothing left to worry about. Do you know how freeing that is? We stand in audacious, incorruptible, and undefeatable faith. We shake our heads in contempt at the enemy Because he has the impossible task of overcoming the church of the living God. Tell me that you hear that preached. I wish you could answer me honestly, yes. This is an attitude we have to pick up. 1 John 5, 3. You ready? Y'all ready? In fact. What a great way to start a sentence. In fact. Where are you at, Keith? It's like we've submitted something in evidence. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born of God? You will know it because you will overcome the world. That fact is in fact. It is guaranteed. Say, well, but my week hadn't been very good yet. Well, we're not saying the enemy's never going to get a point on the scorecard. What we're saying is, Daddy said, knock you out. (laughs) And I'm going to. If not with this one, with the next one. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Timo, you still in here? Timo's at work. Timo's been contemplating this passage. I love this. This is the victory that has overcome the world. That will overcome the world? No, that has overcome the world. Your faith. When you stand trusting God, risking all, giving all, 
standing in a position where you retain nothing of this world except your trust in God, you've already beaten the world. Do you realize how powerful that is? So, well, why don't we see the church overcoming more? Because the church doesn't live like the church is supposed to. But when we do this, it's an impossible task for somebody to overcome us. Say it with me, uh, you bunch of audacious, head-shaking, devil-stomping saints. It's a matter of fact. Say it's a fact. It's a fact. Everyone, born of God Everyone born of God overcomes the world. See, it's not uncertain. The victory is ours. The victory that has overcome the world is your trust displayed in your daily actions. LCM, we dare to trust our God. We will venture our all for him. We will live and we will die for him. We'll do it with unspeakable joy, singing aloud with the O'Fossils today. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting our God than live while trusting in men. When you get to that kind of position, when you can truly say that's where you stand, the battle's already won, even if you haven't engaged in it yet. The victory is yours. You have already overcome when that is your position. The end of the glorious campaign is in sight, and as long as we continue in what we have learned and are being taught, it is a matter of fact that you will possess the real holiness of God and the daring faith and works of Jesus Christ. Fact. Say it's a fact. It's not impossible. It's a fact. The only thing that is impossible is for you to be overcome standing in this position. No reserve. No retreat. No retiring, no retraction, no renegotiation, no reconsideration of the way of the life that has brought us this far. How did we get here? By risking all and doing it every day. That's how we're going to get where we're going to. We are LCM. In 2018, we read you a few lines from this. We are LCM from the fraternal and eternal order of don't care a damn for this world. The die has been cast. We have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. We are on the offensive for Jesus Christ. We won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. Our losses are redeemed, and our present is to make war. Our victory is Secure. Look at our king's example. Because each of us is fully committing to follow it to the fullest degree. Are you ready for it? John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have. But take heart. I have overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Bring it on, Satan. 
Every attempt to delay, to deter, to defeat the church of the living God will only result in glorifying the Father through His sons. The purpose of opposition in your life. You look at it and you say, it's impossible for you to defeat me. I am the church of the living God. So what is the purpose of the opposition then? It's an opportunity to glorify your Father. The devil may punch. I've lost babies, friends, even battles. But we're the church of the living God. We can shake our head in contempt. We can laugh and say, devil, did you think that hurt? Then we counterpunch. And we do it by sacrificial daring acts of audaciously bold faith. Our victory is certain and opposition is our glory. Church, do we need a refresher in that? This is where this church started. And that is where this church will finish. We are the church of the living God. The one association of churches are the churches of the living God. Our brothers in India and Romania and all over the world are the churches of the living God. We are the anvil that was meant to wear out the hammer. It is glory to be opposed. Our victory is certain. This is the attitude we started in. This is the attitude that will bring us across the finish line. And the finish line will be glorious. Now that we've reviewed, now that we've renewed, recommitted to this attitude, it's what we began in and it's what we'll finish in, let's clarify. Ladies, do you like to clarify? Let's classify. Let's clarify and classify and then commit to a task that still lies ahead of us. Is that all right? You ready for the jaw-dropping statement? We're not honored. We will not accept honor. However, we are doing something that is honorable. Look at your neighbor and say, I am not honored. Look at each other and say, we will not accept honor. But we are doing something honorable. We've been entrusted with something that is itself to be honored above all other things. It is preeminent. It is first among first things. It is the Father's priority from which all other priorities are ranked. Our primary concern is that we have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's no small thing. If you had the cure for cancer in your pocket, how would you treat that knowing that nobody else had it? How would you treat the transmission of it? Can you imagine having the cure for cancer in your pocket and going, I don't know, because I stubbed my toe today and I got a runny nose and a kid's got a sore throat. I just don't have anything to be grateful for. need to stop that devil speech, even if it's just rolling around in your heart. You need to develop the attitude that shakes your head at the enemy and goes, did you think that hurt? It is an impossible task to overcome me. I am the church of the living God. Amen. The only thing certain in this outcome is you will go down and I will stand on your head. Romans 16, 20 says it. Today, tomorrow, the next day, it doesn't matter how long it takes. 
I can't be defeated by medical discouragements, cannot be defeated by financial discouragement, can't be defeated at all. I am the church of the living God. You are the church of the living God. We've been entrusted with the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Are we kings yet? No. Are we honored yet? No. Are we finished yet? No. We are servants and nothing more. We are not honorable. We are not kings. Those positions are already occupied by pansy pulpits. They've already surrendered the war because they're presently captives to depravity while they're purporting to free others from it. Don't crave those things. When you crave those things, you will drift from your pure and sincere faith. Our position is and always will be servants until the reward that is the resurrection of the dead takes place. If you accept your honor now, then you can't have it then. If you refuse it now, then it is waiting for you then. Between now and then, we have one honorable task. We must prove faithful over what we have been entrusted with. Do you realize that accepting the gospel is not enough? Do you realize that believing the gospel is not enough? You have been given something that you must prove faithful over. You hear that? As a servant of God, you have been entrusted with something, and God requires you to be faithful over it. When you need to pick me up, remember the mysteries of God have been revealed to you. Oh, no, it's been a horrible week. Shut your pie hole. The mysteries of God have been revealed to you. How can you take that for granted? We can't. We, we cannot do it. When you're opposed, remember that you're a mere servant, but you are the servant of the king of the universe. When you feel like you've sacrificed, remember that if you had been appointed as an ambassador of the United States, it would have been called an honor and a privilege to hold such a position. And now that you are an ambassador of the king of the universe, don't you dare to call that a sacrifice. If it would be an honor... For you to represent a human government, then how can it be a sacrifice for you to represent heaven's government? We need to cultivate a little attitude. You know, give me three snaps in the Z formation or something. Opposition is glory. The devil's task is impossible. Mine is not. Oh, devil, did you think that hurt? I'm going to hit you with a sacrificial, audacious, bold, daring act of faith. We need to develop that. That's how this church started. It's very much like a Rocky movie, except we win and Rocky didn't. Impossible odds. That's what it's always been for us. If you see it as impossible, it will be. If you see the enemy's task as impossible, you will wear him out. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. On the contrary, 
We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who? God who? Our hearts. Have you considered that the last few months have been about the testing of your heart? You're no longer at the starting line, church. But my friends, none of us has reached the finish line either. We're in the entrusted stage that requires us to prove faithful. Our hearts will not be tested once or twice. We are to prove faithful throughout every day of every week, of every month, of every year of our existence until we reach the glorious end, which is the resurrection of the dead. To get there, we have to be dead daily now. Say, well, when I die, I'll be resurrected. (laughs) You have to die daily now. Die to entitlement. Die to reward. Die to recognition. Die to applause. Die to popularity. Die to the need for appreciation. Dead to any priority other than your only priority. To prove faithful over your trust. The great gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know I've been preaching a little while, but let's face it, you knew that was going to happen and you're used to it by now. Why are there no applause for dead to entitlement? Why are people not jumping up and down, yelling amen to dead to reward? Why is the church not going crazy over dead to recognition? Well, you know why. These are things that we are declaring that must be. And we all have to acknowledge presently. There's still a lot of it going on in there. Let's speak honestly with each other. We're going to do it without pretense. We're going to do it without false humility. I'm going to do it without concern for how the world out there sees what we're doing in here. I, to be, I, I, I don't know that I've ever cared. It's just that more people talk to me about it now than ever before. Timothy 3.10. First Timothy 3.10. You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them, from all of them. You're our family. We've proven that we love each other over decades. You realize that? Some of us in this room have known each other decades now. You've watched us through miscarriages, defections, COVID, gun incidents, financial crisis, painful physical ailments. We've displayed a way of life that is completely dependent on our Father. And you've imitated that way of life. These things don't change whether you're well-funded or lack funds. It is the way of life that was revealed to us from heaven. And we have to prove faithful over it. We prove faithful over it because it displays the good deposit that we have, that we've been entrusted with. This is the part that I needed to get to, though. The test is not in the great moments that you're going to preach. When you find out that you're going to preach, what do you do? You study. It's the best study week of your life. You pray. It's the best prayer week 
of your life, huge quantities of time doing that. The tests are in the moments that you don't know if there's going to be an opportunity to preach, and yet you devote the same time to it. We have some amazing leaders in this room. And you do really well when you can see the goal. And you don't realize that you're actually working in selfish ambition. You're doing what you're doing so that you can achieve something. And the proof of it is that if you do not have the goal, your behavior wanes. You can have six months to do a task and don't get it done because there's not an immediate payoff. You're leading worship, man, it's amazing. Not leading worship, you're barely there. You're preaching, your study is amazing. You're not preaching every week that goes by. It shows in your attitude. You don't prove faithful in a great contest. You prove faithful in the days where you do not see an end in sight. And it's mun mundane, monotonous. But you love your king so much you would never give him less than your very best effort. The test is not in those great moments. Those great moments you know are coming and you have quality preparation. The tests are in the moments where you have no payoff in mind. And yet something inside you says intimacy with the king at all cost. The test is not in the day that you are sent to an obscure land. The test is in the moments of monotonous daily living with no departure date. And yet you live the same daily intensity as if you were leaving this week. You know the benefit of starting in a garage? I had a giant vision and absolutely no encouragement ever that it was going to happen. Can you stand up each week and say, it's impossible to stop me, devil, because God has spoken and I will not stop myself. You can't because you're the church of the living God. The Lord will rescue you from every persecution, but proving faithful is something you must do in your daily devotion and your way of life. If you can be offset by a menstrual cycle, the church of the living God cannot be overcome by your menstrual cycle. If you can be offset by your wife's attitude, husband, a high priest cannot be overcome by a bad attitude. You need to grab hold of our position in Christ. You need to look the devil in the eye and say, hey, what you're trying to do to me is impossible. I will keep going today, tomorrow, and on the third day, I'll hit my goal. Whether I have to go through you, over you, or step on you makes no difference to me. Christian, you have to have an overcoming attitude. Hey, let's pick up in verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did it, does this sound like he said things would get progressively better? Look, I love, I love Dominion. I love that. I, I even like some things from the Dominion movement, which you probably don't even know what it is, but things are not getting progressively better. That's, that's a joke. It's a theological error. It's a good thought, but it, it's, it's not correct. His government's increasing in the midst of a world that is decaying. That is true. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. It is the achievement of the Lord in us, and we are proud to say it and say it loud. 
You must continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know the Stevens. And you know that our way of life displays the heavenly pattern. We have an amazing testimony together, but our testimony is not over. We're in a season of proving faithful repetitively, repetitiously, but never redundantly. Every private moment that you choose the Lord is a moment of integrity. It's a moment of character. You prove faithful in the moments that no one is watching you and there is no reward in sight. You've submitted a two-minute thing for 12 weeks and the pastors haven't mentioned it. That's the best thing that could happen to you. Does it surprise you that when I did speak, I was often punished by my pastor and not allowed to speak for six months to 12 months? I was in danger if there was a response, not if there wasn't. It's the best training you could possibly receive. The cherished moments that we're looking for where the king sees that you carried through without a reward and no one was watching. Nothing will affirm you quite like that. And then those daily moments will carry you through the great contest. If you continue in what you've learned, it's impossible for hell to stop you. Say, victory is mine. Hell cannot stop the man that will not stop himself. Verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The bedrock of everything in our lives has been, is now, and must continue to be daily interaction with the God-breathed teaching of the Scripture. With the rebuke of the Scripture. With the correction of the Scripture. This will train you to walk in the task that you must complete. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4.15. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. In Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Does it surprise you that the Stevens never asked for the role that we're walking in? It was bestowed upon us by divine providence. The truth is, is we've both often wondered whether an older, wiser, more godly couple than us should be doing what we're doing. However, since they're the one, we're the ones that are here... And God chose us to begin this work. We've decided not to shy away from the heavenly call. I want to tell you a secret. There are epistles walking around this church. They are the answer to the numerous critics in our lives. They are the validation of what heaven has done through this ministry. Pastors Wade, Matt, Nick, Peyton, and Judah 
are a continual reminder of the way of life that God established in our midst as the correct pattern. They're better men. There are better examples of the teaching than anyone could have hoped for. Listen to them. Imitate them. Pattern your life after theirs. Ask them. That is exactly what they've done with us. They pattern their lives after the Stevens. There's no shame in that. And you guys pattern your lives after them. That is how you transmit the gospel through the generations. Say, but wait a minute, they're the same age. Why would you be worried about such carnal crap like that? They saw something in us worth imitating and were humble enough to say we want to live like they live. And they have. That's what advances the gospel. If you're sitting in here or listening out there, and you think what we do is kind of neat, but you haven't fully decided to live as we live, well, then it might be possible for the devil to beat you. But it's an impossible task for him to overcome the church of living God standing in the sacrificial nature of Jesus. This is how the gospel will move through the generations and advance into areas that were previously untouched. We're going to prove faithful and we're going to continue this way of life. Since we're an hour and 11 minutes in and I have no plans to stop, can, can we do something else? Is that all right? I want to show you a picture. This is Stanley. I love what the Vincents are doing in Indonesia. And no, no slide on the Vincents. They, they will agree with this. They're extraordinary people. Brent and Teresa are full of faith. They've got an apostolic work going that is amazing, but they're not the point. They'll die soon. How soon, we can argue about, but they're going to die. The point is about what's coming after them. They are patterning a way of life that others can follow. I have great hope for that young man and that young woman right there. I just wanted to show, I'm not saying anything about it, Hey, I got another picture for you. I love Buddy and Kim. Buddy's like a fitness machine, but let's face it, he's old. <laughs> what we are establishing is a pattern to be followed to be carried through the generations, and it will, and that's how we will reach the world. That's the point. If you were still thinking in terms of me, my, and I, stop it. Stop it. Lay down and be a step somebody else can launch themselves forward on. All right. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What we're beginning to see in Indonesia and in Peru, and I won't go through the ways in which we faced opposition because that would just be glory and I don't want to brag. I'm instead just going to tell you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to make sure that he has three generations in these cities. He's going to do that. Okay. Let's go to 1 Timothy. We're going to finish this message by going through First and Second Timothy. Have I made you mad yet? Not enough of you, really? 
But wait, there's more. First Timothy 3.14, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Even the unstoppable church needed some guidelines because we are the pillar of truth. The church of the living God is the last bastion of truth on earth. Let's get real. We're the only people left that seem to be able to rightly define what a man or a woman is. We're the only people left who see truth as absolute and definitions as immovable because the word is truth. We're going to have to pay very close attention to our responsibility to the truth as men and women that were entrusted with mysteries from God. We have a responsibility to it. Let's remind ourselves of a few things given to me and to you by our apostolic fathers. 1 Timothy 3.2 Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. LCM has always been a kind of officer's training school. That's why all the pastors of the one association came from here. But they're also going to rise up from the other churches. I can guarantee it. We are not raising nominal believers. Our aim is to raise supernatural sons that will kick in the gates of hell, even if they are only armed with a squirt gun. Not scared to put it to the test. The Lord said you gates of hell can't overcome me, so I came unarmed. <laughs> we need some audacious faith. And yet this passage starts with something. Faithfulness to your spouse is everything. Faithful to teach her is a part of faithfulness. Faithful to disciple her is a part of faithfulness. Faithful to her in your own body, a part of faithfulness. Faithful to her in your own mind, faithfulness. Faithful to her in all responsibilities. I don't care how much you know, don't care how well you preach, don't care how anointed you think you are. Ministry is based on faithfulness to your own wife. Our teaching to the outside world is useless if our homes are not defined by respect and honor of both authority and the responsibility of an authority to those the man is over. It's useless. The biggest threat to this ministry is discord between husbands and wives. It's not the devil. It's not finances. It's not anything else. It's the perpetual piggish rut that we get into where somebody's just not satisfied and somebody just doesn't have faith that the other's going to change. Ministry is based on a man's faithfulness to his wife. Our church doesn't make rules where the Bible does not make rules. You're free to drink. But notice this verse says that you must never be rightfully open to the accusation that you are given to drunkenness. 
not given to drunkenness. The reason churches have rules against alcohol is that they do not expect their people to mature. They give rules because they don't expect people to grow up. In this house, we refuse those rules, but we also say to you with all the authority of God, grow up in this matter. Do not bring reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or on the purity of this work because of your immaturity. If you're in this room and you're tempted to be a hero at drinking wine, stop it. It's not masculine, it's not godly, and we're not impressed. It's dangerous. Alcohol is not dangerous. Immaturity is dangerous. If you have any doubt that this issue, or that this is an issue for you, put yourself to the testing stone. Show some chutzpah. Set down the freedom until it is no longer a question for you. We're in the days of proving faithful. We have to sit and talk about blood alcohol levels. Something's wrong. The devil can't stop you, but you can stop you. Hey, the people of God. Have I upset you yet? Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to keep working at it. The people of God are not violent or quarrelsome. We could care less about the phonetic sounds coming out of your mouth. I've met Christians that said, darn it! And they sinned in their hearts because they meant something much, much worse than that. I've also known Christians that would say words you would consider profane, but didn't sin in any way in their speech. Because they said nothing against the truth and were not expressing maliciousness. I was talking to African church right behind us. I said, sir, which way does this plumbing go? He says, the shit goes here. He wasn't sinning. It's how he referred to it. But Christians usually look cute words all of the time that are grotesquely sinful. And sometimes in this room, words that would be profane with either definition. We're not going to condemn or exonerate anyone based on the sounds of their vocalizations. However, speech that is not useful for building up the body of Christ needs to be eliminated from your life. Amen. We're in a time of proving faithful. Anything that you say that is degrading of another person is unacceptable to Christ. You're an ambassador of God, and he's watching over the way that you speak to those, especially under your care and alongside you. Y'all listening to me? How you talk to your coworkers is something that God will take notice of. You want to invite his immediate wrath? Speak to your children in a way that he would not. First Timothy 3.11. In the same way. You sure y'all aren't mad yet? In the same way, the women are to be worthy. Worthy. Worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers. 
but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Women in this house, your public life is not the issue. Sweetly smiling in public is erased if you hold your husband in contempt in your private speech. Bat your eyes, have perfect little lipstick on, everything is wonderful, but you're a devil at home. And you say things that the devil says at home. Remember how you feel about him is a reflection of how you feel about the Lord because the Lord put him in the position of priest over you. Did you say things to your husband this week that if you said to Jesus Christ, you would be scared, you would be struck dead? Wow. Y'all are very quiet. Let me just say it to you then. I love you all dearly. I have no desire to shame anybody in the room. But some of you have shamed yourselves this week. God knows it. You know it. And I know it. And the holy angels were watching. If you don't put an end to that, it will be brought out before all creation on the judgment day. And you think it's uncomfortable right now and wondering if I'll call your name? What happens when God does that? Would you rather be ashamed now or then? We're in a season of proving faithful. Elders' wives, pastors' wives. You're supposed to set the example for faithfulness in this area. None of us are exempt from this is what the church must look like. Did you catch that? The church is the pillar and foundation of truth. Say, well, they weren't a malicious talker. They were just sharing their heart. Well, their heart sucks with maliciousness. Not grateful, not happy, disrespectful of authority can not be a part of this work. That is not the pattern that you learn from Jennifer and I. Do you know that those that are in leadership are supposed to be rebuked publicly if they keep sinning? Did you know that? We're going to have a really good day today, though. I also want to encourage you husbands. Let's not listen so closely that we are insecure in trying to create a problem. Okay? How about we stand in a position that says, I stand with the Lord and I'm confident that he will make my leadership effective. I'm confident that I don't have to force something, that God himself will take his servants and move his servants to follow what is right. Did you know that Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22 says, uh, don't listen too carefully. You'll hear your own servant cursing you. And you yourself know you've done the same thing. Yeah, that's what Ecclesiastes says. Don't listen with such an ear to find a fault in your spouse. Think the best, want the best, present a standard and refuse to move from it. If you're arguing for four or five hours, something's wrong with you. State the truth and then trust your God to bring them into alignment. Jan, have I looked you right in the eye and said, I love you, honey, but you are sinning? Have I then said, we will not discuss this anymore. Your father will correct you. I'm praying that you'll repent because... He could be hard on you for what you just said. You know what? The Lord did it immediately. He's better at this than I am. 
If we leave room for the authority of God, he will do what you cannot. Ladies, if you're being treated unjustly, if he really is just a devilish pig that you married and committed to give your life to and did it in the name of Jesus at an altar, but if he really is all those things, God's able to correct his own servant. Okay? We're going to live trusting the Lord. The devil cannot stop us. It's impossible for him to stop us, but you can stop you. And the way that you stop you are in these very pastoral moments that are written in First and Second Timothy, which is why in the years 66 to 68, Paul's last two years on this planet, he wrote these letters to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he writes it in the same year that Nero lops off his head. It's almost like all pastors through all time would need to know this. So we're just walking through it. Is that all right? Amen. 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Fathers in this room, your calling is expressed in your own home before it is ever applied to the world around you. You must inspire your family to imitate the great call of God in your daily activities. And by the way, your daily activities have to be worth imitating. Endeavor to hear from God. Be immovable about the things that you've heard. A man that can be manipulated within his own home. Well, that man will be manipulated by the wants, needs, desires, applause feedback that he receives from a congregation so he's unfit for service ladies do you realize if you're manipulating your husbands if you're putting them together you are demonstrating their inability to manage their home that that might be the most satanic attack in a home that there could be you just want what you want and so you make sure that it happens and what you're actually doing is showing God and the whole world that your husband is incapable of leading even his own wife. Is there a lady in here that would love to jump up and say, that was my goal. That's what I wanted. Yes, I was hoping to emasculate him publicly. Well, if that's not what you want to do, then perhaps we could stop doing it. Husbands, where did she get the idea that she could plant a seed then set up a circumstance and force you to do what she wants you to do while smiling and batting her eyes. She got the idea not from the devil, but by how malleable you are. Hear from God. Stand on a conviction. Stop being such a pliable pansy. See, this is what the Apostle Paul was writing to his true son in the faith. The church of the living God is unstoppable, but we do some things that stop us. These things may not be what you want to hear from me, but they are the pattern laid down in Scripture. Before I leave to go out of town, I want you to know that this is what I receive from the apostolic fathers. And so it's what I have to pass on. You have watched our lives for decades. I'm not lying. This is the pattern that we live in. 
These are the ways that a man proves faithful over what he's been entrusted with. Well, I can tune a guitar like a boss. I could care less. I can exegete this passage. <laughs> okay. I can preach. Okay. Can you manage your family? Is what is happening in your home so amazing and so contagious that others are drawn to your home and they want to imitate it? Seminary will never do for you what I'm attempting right now. Hermeneutics and homiletics won't do it for you. These are the ways that the scripture itself fits you for the call of God. It's how you prove faithful. If this were my last message to this congregation on earth, this is exactly what I would say, no matter what you thought about it. 2 Timothy 1.13. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted in you. Somebody say, I have it. But i got to guard it. These are the ways that they leak out. These are the ways that your good deposit becomes ineffective. Nothing's wrong with the deposit. It can't be overcome. Something's wrong with us. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We are in a time of proving faithful. And it is impossible for Satan to stop the church of the living God. This scripture outlines three principles for us to cling to. Keep the pattern. Keep it. That's item number one. The Lord does not need and no one will appreciate your clever innovations, your modifications, or your revisions of the absolute truth that has been displayed before your eyes. Well, I just feel like it needs to be done this way. That's because you're immature. These principles do not need to be reinterpreted. They need to be reapplied. Principle number two, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. The whole world will try to corrupt the pure gospel that you have taken your stand on. Even your own thoughts and emotions will go to war against these timeless and absolute truths. You must guard what you have been given. If the word says it, that settles it for you in advance of the trial. No excuses. No elastic interpretations. No manipulation. You've watched frail and broken people carry out the correct pattern. And you have to do the same thing. First, we keep the pattern. Secondly, we guard the good deposit. But did you notice how? You guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Can we rightly call a man spirit-filled because he was once spirit-filled? Isn't it the case that a man must be being-filled to be in the category of spirit-filled? It is impossible for Satan to stop us unless we stop ourselves. You began in the Spirit, and you must finish in the Spirit. And if you have been being filled for many years, you should be more full of the Spirit now than at any point in your life. 
to hold on to what we were entrusted with will take the power and presence of God's holiness living inside of us daily. If anything that I've said to you stung, and I really tried, I picked very personal examples. That's an opportunity for the presence of God's holy power to allow you to overcome. But you have to desperately want that. And sometimes you don't want it until you've been sufficiently humiliated by it. I'm not trying to humiliate you. Sin will humiliate you, though. Don't, don't wait until what you've done privately that was so nasty is put on billboards before the world. Don't wait until you're pulled over in a DUI and your face is on a billboard and somebody's like, yes, that's LCM. Don't wait for that to correct something as basic as do not overdrink. Don't wait for these things. If something, if your speech is not kind, gentle, if it, if it is quarrelsome, if you've been yelling and cursing at your teammates made in God's image, man, there's a place for you to cry out for an infilling of his presence. Say, well, man, I've heard all of that in the church before. You're right. You're better than all of us, so demonstrate that. The word says to follow me as I follow Christ. If you've been saying degrading things to your children, how will you escape the judgment of God? I threw my own father out of my house for saying degrading things to my kids. Let's do 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. I can never stop advocating for the idea that says, bring it on, Satan, watch me shake my head contemptuously. I could never say boldly to Satan, bring it on, unless the power of God's Spirit were helping me. I mean, let's just be honest. I'm not anywhere near a match for Satan. But, if the one that is in me is fully in me, I'm more than a match. I could never rise to even one of the principles that I'm teaching about were it not for a continual filling with His holiness. So the point is not to illustrate how bad off you are. The point is to illustrate how much to finish this, how much to prove faithful, how much to hang on to what you've been given. You have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not as a one-time merit badge, like as a daily act. It's funny, it's where worship naturally led us today. 2 Timothy 2.1 You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Having received the genuine pattern... And having been entrusted with the real thing, having been given the opportunity to prove faithful throughout your lifetime, we've received the good deposit. Does anybody in here think that you do not understand the truth after being in this church? That you do not have a genuine understanding of the gospel? You raise your hand, we'll meet with you. Okay, so say it with me. I received, I received 
the good deposit. I received the good deposit. Then we find out from 2 Timothy that we have to guard the good deposit. That's what we're talking about. I got it. Now I got to guard it. I got it. Now I got to guard it. We receive this deposit in the power of the Spirit, and the only way you can guard it is in the same power that you initially received it. We received, we got it, now we got to guard it. What you heard me address are areas that we're not guarding it. We're slipping it. Alcohol, in and of itself, has not one moral quality to it, but it will surely show your immaturity. A word in and of itself has no moral value one way or another, but any word you use to degrade another human being, Christ is displeased with it. You can say that you love each other, husbands and wives, and that you have each other's best interest in mind, but if you're expressing rebellion towards one another, you're expressing rebellion towards the Father. These are areas we have to guard what we've been given. How many ministries have been ruined over these things? Say, I got it, it. and I'm going to guard it. Then we transmit the good deposit to reliable men. See, when you got it, and then you guard it, and it's become precious to you because you fought for it. It's become precious to you because when there was no reward, when nobody was there to listen, nobody applauded, nobody thought you were doing a good job, you cultivated and guarded what you were given. Then you know you have something to give. And you won't let somebody take it lightly because it was precious to you. You know why I don't apologize when I preach? I know what it took me to get the good deposit. I know how hard it's been to guard the good deposit. I know how many times I myself came close to tainting or giving it away. So I will not let somebody treat what is precious to me as a common thing. When you get it and you guard it, that guarding time will mean that it's precious to you in the way that you give it. Fight for shalom with your spouse. Fight to get things right. Fight to live in integrity before the Lord. And when you speak to somebody else about it, it's different. I mean, it's just different. In our own team, I'm watching people struggle like, I know that's wrong, but I can't say anything because I also am doing that. I know. This is how the devil stops us. Could somebody please stand up and not do that so that we could then address it and fix this thing? Say, no, we're all sinners. No, I'm the church of the living God, and I cannot be stopped by Satan. I will receive the good deposit. I will guard the good deposit. I will transmit the good deposit. I'm going to read you exactly one more passage. Pastors, if you don't mind, now don't, don't tune me out for this passage. I want to read you Acts 1.8. How many of you have been in a spiritual church more than once? How many of you are not listening to me at all because your hand's not raised? I told you I was going to work to piss you off. If I've hurt your feelings, trust me, they needed to be hurt. 
Did you think that because you were generous financially that I would spare you the truth? If we apply the things that I'm talking about today, and maybe not the most exciting message, I threw all concern for performance out the window. If we apply them, then if I'm gone, if Matt's gone, if Wade is gone, if Nick is gone, if Judah is gone, and Peyton is here ah, with Justin and Bim, and we're waiting for a doolum to join them, if that's what we have, and we apply this, church won't look any different and it'll just be stronger than it is today. If we do not apply these things, then we'll be talking about the good old years while we're living in gutter real estate. That's what will be happening. Let's read Acts 1.8. But you, but you, like you people, will receive power. I know you've heard a hundred messages on it, but how can I say that Satan has the impossible task? Because you are called to be empowered by God. Do you want to receive power? Yes. Did Jesus say you will receive power? Yes. Did he say, you know, if Chloe cries enough, if Chloe is contrite enough, if there's enough snot coming from Sasha, if Abby just, I don't know, kneels on rocks, then you'll receive. You can't earn this. And if it could be earned, you would not be capable of earning it. He will give the power of his holiness to the one that asks him. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, martyrs. Witnesses is martyrs. To walk in the unstoppable power of the gospel, you have to be dying daily and living only by the power of his holiness. My God, do some things have to go? But if you are committed to that end, as you have proven in these last few weeks you are, then all we're identifying is some remnants that still need to go to make room for more of his holiness. And how will you be a witness? You'll be a witness in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. That means that God will have so gotten hold of you, so filled you with his overcoming power, that your marriage and your children have extended to affect your city. And your city has helped you to go to affect the next region. And those two regions have joined together to help you get to the ends of the earth because everybody is convinced that what you got, what you guarded, and what you have to give is worthwhile. How do I know that? Stevens came here with a good deposit that we received. We guarded it with the help of the Holy Spirit and then all of our friends. It 
bled outside of our house to you. And you and the next region and the region after that are helping to send us around the world. None of us are made from a different material. None of us fell out of the sky. We all operate on one thing. The audacity to look the devil in the eye and say, you can't stop me because I am the church of the living God. And then turning to your father and going, I said it, I said it, Lord, and he is going to stomp me if you don't fill me with your power of holiness. And your father will so love the audacity with which you stand for him that he will meet your boldness with the infilling of his spirit. And despite all of your fears, you will not fall. Despite all of your fears, you will not hit the ground. He will. Ask us how we know. Jen, stand up here with me. We're going to begin to pray for you. She hates this. Not prayer for you. She prays for you all the time. She does not want to be in front of people. And Nick Aragina, Pastor Nick Aragina, would you please stand at that end of the stage? Judah, would you please stand at that end of the stage? So here lately, we've been mobbing the altar, and it's great. I mean, I love it. Except that it is not particularly public if everybody in the public is doing it. I would like you to get straight the things that don't belong in your life at the altar privately. That's not a problem. But when it comes to asking to be filled with an empowerment in a specific area, I would ask you to find Nick, Judah, Jim, or myself. Because if you're going to ask the Lord for this, it should not be a private thing. If he does it for you, and he says you will receive, then it should be something that is a testimony to all of your friends and family. A testimony that bleeds outside of your home. Now, if you don't have the courage or the faith for this yet, one day you'll grow up in BLCM. But I think most of you do. We're going to turn this over to him. If something needs to die, you can do that privately at the altar. But if you're realizing you must be empowered beyond an activity, beyond a devilish thing, then come see one of us while the rest of the church worships. We're going to lay our hands on you and God will deposit his presence in you in a way that frees you from that behavior when you lean on him. Father, we're asking here and now that your good spirit of holiness your power, your presence would enter us to set us free from that which does not belong. We want to guard the goodness you have given us. We want to be able to give it to the world. Come, come and help us. 